Hey y'all, today we'll be continuing our discussion of the pilot qualifications task in the commercial ACS with a discussion of safe versus legal, looking at the difference between proficiency and currency, and talking about a few other risk management topics. This is an important discussion whether you're working towards private, commercial, or even instrument, so stay tuned. This is episode 30 of the Plaid Pilot Podcast, and I'm your host, Todd Weld. Good to be back. I hope everyone had a great week. Uh, I guess it was a little more than a week since the last episode. I got a lot of irons in the fire right now. I got a lot of balls in the air, as they say, Um, but better late than never. And on today's episode, we're going to be covering a topic that is absolutely essential to understand when it comes to passing not only your commercial check ride, uh, but also your instrument and private check rides as well. Um, And more importantly, it's essential to just being a safe pilot. So talking about the check ride, it's going to be one of the very first things that DPE evaluates after determining that you and the airplane are both legal to take the check ride. Uh, as a matter of fact, currency, we start talking about currency. Currency is part of being legal to take the check ride since the DPE in most cases uh, is considered a passenger for the check ride and they aren't going to be assuming any of those responsibilities of piling command. In the rare instance, uh, they will assume those pilot and command responsibilities. It's a pretty rare thing. Usually they will not. Usually it is a legal requirement that you be current to carry passengers for that check ride. So this just provides kind of a natural segue to connect legal and safe. Since they're already talking about the legal thing, let's talk about how that compares to safety. It allows them to evaluate your understanding of currency and proficiency. Now currency is pretty easy. Currency means that you have that legal box checked. As long as you're current for your flight review uh, and your medical, it basically comes down to the landings that you've made and how recently you've made them. So 14 CFR 61.57 lays it all out really nicely. Uh, In order to carry passengers during the day, within the last 90 days, you have to have made three takeoffs and landings as sole manipulator of the controls. If you're flying a tailwheel airplane, those landings need to be to a full stop. And of course, the category and class of the aircraft has to match. So landings you make in a single engine land airplane aren't going to count towards multi-engine land currency or single engine seaplane currency. It has to be the same category and class. And then to carry passengers at night, you need the same three landings within the last 90 days, but all of those landings have to be to a full stop. Also to count as night landings, they have to be made at least an hour after sunset and an hour before sunrise. So they want to make sure that it's good and dark when you actually complete those landings. It's not like the sun just went down, but you still have a good amount of light. Uh, Also, the same rules about being the sole manipulator of the controls, uh, the category and class have to match, all that kind of stuff. But that's what makes you legal. And those landings, that currency, uh, that's, that's for carrying passengers. If you're not carrying passengers, that's not even a factor. It is important on your check ride that you're able to explain that kind of stuff to the DPE. You need to be able to show them in the logbook how you meet those requirements. You know, I know some DPEs will actually want you to go back in your logbook and basically tell them when you're no longer going to be current for day flights and for night flights. Pretty straightforward process uh, to do on the spot, but just to save a little bit of time, you know, a few minutes at least, and then to show that you're extra prepared, uh, especially if you're just strictly on paper logs, it's uh, not a bad idea to go ahead and figure that out the night before. So you'll have that answer right away in case they want it. If you use ForeFlight or some of these other electronic logs, a lot of them will actually track the currency for you. Uh, so that's kind of a neat thing. On ForeFlight, I know it's, I know it tells you like uh, in seven days your night currency expires or whatever, but it actually tracks it day by day. 
It's a pretty neat feature. So that's currency. That's being legal. Proficiency is a little more of a gray area. Proficiency is being safe. Uh, the DPE, they have to evaluate that you know the regulations, and that's pretty easy to evaluate. It's black and white. Do you know what you need to be current or not? They're also going to need, before they issue you your pilot certificate, they're going to need to see and evaluate your ability to operate safely and exercise good aeronautical decision-making, good ADM. That's a little bit harder. It's not quite as objective, not quite as black and white. But it is necessary to pass your check ride. It's necessary to be a safe pilot. So it is a necessity. So when we talk about currency versus proficiency, I want you to consider this scenario. Let's say this week you earn your private pilot certificate. You're a quick learner. You got it knocked out in, we'll say, under 50 hours. Uh, all of your training was done in an LSA, little two-seater light sport aircraft, steam gauges, 90 to 100 horsepower, Rotax engine, automatically controls the mixture for you. So you have the throttle and, you know, there's a lever on the floor to manually extend the flaps and retract them. But that's about it. It's pretty bare bones. The thing doesn't even have VOR navigation. So, of course, you had to learn about it from, you know, a theoretical perspective for the written test, but you've never used one in flight. During your training, you got the bare minimum night hours required, so three night hours, two of which you spent on the required night cross-country with your instructor, and the rest you spent with your instructor in the pattern getting those required night landings. So all that knocked out, 50 flight hours later, not even, you have your private pilot certificate, brand new minted private pilot. Life gets busy, of course, after you take your check ride. You don't fly again for 19, 20 months, quite a while. And then you decide, you know what, I'm going to go get some currency back. And you're going to go ahead and kill two birds with one stone, so you go up at night. So nighttime landings will satisfy both day and nighttime requirements. So you spend six or eight tenths of an hour, and you do your three full stop landings at night. You're officially current again. Two, three months later... Uh, your buddy buys a Diamond DA-40. It's a sleek airplane. It's got the constant speed prop, beautiful G-1000 suite. Of course, it seats four people. It could hardly be more different from the light sport that you got your training in. Um, and it's even got two extra levers you've never even used. One is the mixture lever and one is the uh, prop lever for that constant speed prop. Uh, even the flaps are different. On this DA-40, they're operated electronically by a switch on the panel rather than that handle, that lever on the floor. Now, if you wanted to borrow his airplane, having never been inside it, you want to take your spouse, your kids on a night cross-country flight over some uninhabited mountainous terrain to an airport you've never been to, technically you'd be operating within the confines of 14 CFR 6157. Just looking at currency here. The DA-40 is the same category and class as the light sport airplane. Single engine land airplane. It doesn't meet the 201 horsepower requirement for high performance, so you don't need that high performance endorsement. doesn't have retractable gear, so it's not considered complex. You don't need that endorsement. Obviously not a tailwheel airplane either, so you don't need that endorsement. And you know, you're within two years of your check ride, barely, but you're within two years of your check ride, so you don't even need another flight review to be legal. It's not a requirement yet. So we're looking at this, we're looking at all these variables. Now you should not be able to make that flight. You absolutely shouldn't. Your friends shouldn't allow it to happen. You shouldn't want to do it. Your spouse shouldn't get in the plane with you. But you check the legal currency blocks. And now this is a super extreme case. It's an absolutely wild scenario. And you'd, you'd still be able to get in trouble with this one. This one is is enough off the wall that you could still get in trouble. 14 CFR 9113 and 9113 
it's a little bit subjective, but it's the regulation that prohibits endangering life or property with reckless operations. Now, if anything qualifies as reckless operation, I would say that this does. You know, you have no training on any of these systems. It would be incredibly dangerous for all parties involved. Um, so if anything could qualify as reckless, this scenario should qualify. So I don't want to say that it's legal, wouldn't be legal to do this, to go on that flight. But viewed from a currency standpoint, you meet those currency requirements. And of course, that scenario, as crazy as it is, it kind of brings up some of these other important risk management topics that we're going to get to, like flying unfamiliar airplanes and different avionics. So anybody listening to that scenario should be able to easily say, no, that is not a safe scenario. That would be, there's no way that you're proficient on any level in that aircraft, having only that minimal experience in a completely unrelated airplane. But there's a lot of situations where proficiency may not be quite so yes and no. Uh, You kind of need to develop a plan for maintaining proficiency. Your DPE is going to ask you about it most likely. You know, how, how do you plan to stay proficient? Uh, But most importantly, it's just the safe thing to do. Even if they don't ask you what your plan is, you should really have one. It's the safe, safe thing to do, safe way going forward after, you know, you get a new rating. How are you going to maintain that rating? Uh, Obviously, a few landings every 12 to 18 months isn't going to cut it. But how often do you really need to fly to be safe? It's different for every pilot. Uh, And it's even going to change for the same pilot as they get more experience. For example, when I first got my private, Uh, If I went, you know, two or three weeks without flying, that next flight felt a little uncomfortable. If I hit a month, I wouldn't take passengers up with me without going up by myself or grabbing an instructor or something. I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Now, a couple hundred hours later, still pretty conservative with that type of thing. But I don't feel like the skills fade as quickly as they did when they were new. But it is important that you come up with some personal minimums so that you can easily make those go, no-go decisions uh, for yourself safely. Because you don't want to have a situation where you've gone a while, you haven't been flying at all, and then a friend asks you to take them on a flight, and now you have to try and evaluate that scenario with the added pressure knowing somebody wants to go flying with you. You want it to be an easy, easy, easy decision that you can look like, I'm sorry, I've only logged X number of landings or X number of hours in the last couple of months. I'm just not comfortable with that right now. And then it doesn't become a, well, let me think about it. And then you're going to feel like a jerk because on the spot you decided you didn't want to take them. This is a decision that you've made months, maybe years before this person ever asked you to take them on a flight. Say, if I don't have X number of landings within the last X number of days, I will not fly or I will not carry passengers. If I don't have X number of flight hours within X number of days, I will not fly without an instructor or I will not carry passengers. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can write that out. There are a lot of different ways that you can make those up, but you need to have something to fall back on. It doesn't need to be a subjective, how do I feel today about the flight? And that's for making the go decision. The no-go decision can be made based off of anything. Now, you should you should have a set of numbers for night flights and day flights, a different set. Uh, I know a lot of people who are very uncomfortable flying at night, mostly because they don't have much experience doing it. Um, but it's important to realize that just because you are comfortable and proficient flying during the day, you may not be proficient at night. There's a lot of illusions that can come into play at night. It's easier to become disoriented or lost, especially flying in unfamiliar areas. So with determining proficiency, it requires you 
to be honest with yourself. Do you have the recent experience to make you safe for that flight? And part of that is going to go past the last time you flew. Part of that is asking yourself, when was the last time you looked at your emergency emergency checklists and chair flew an engine out scenario and ran through an engine out scenario with the instructor? That would be great. That should be done more often than your every two-year flight review. But this chair flying can really help keep up on some of that proficiency. Obviously, you can't do that alone, but in conjunction with with flying. Chair flying can help out tremendously. A large part of being able to handle scenarios in the air is having thought through them frequently on the ground. So a lot of proficiency, like I said, it can be maintained on your own through a combination of flying and self-study. But it's still a really good idea to bring an instructor up with you every now and again. I'd say probably once a year at the minimum to really evaluate you, work on some stuff that you may be rusty on every quarter would be better. Never hurts to get uh, another set of eyes on your flying. But you really don't want to be that person that only flies with an instructor once every two years. A lot of bad habits can sneak in in that time. But develop that plan. How often you're going to fly with and without an instructor. Any restrictions you're going to put on yourself for carrying passengers in addition to the regulations and then just be, pre- be prepared to talk about it with your DPE. Uh, because passengers, they do make flights harder, generally speaking, especially ones who don't fly often. So those minimums and that plan can and probably should even involve different sets. You know, talk about different sets of numbers for night and day flights. Could look at different sets of numbers for passenger flights. You know, flights when you're flying alone or with other pilots. And then when you're flying with non-pilot passengers just to account for those scenarios that may come up with a non-pilot passenger that generally wouldn't by yourself or with another pilot in the aircraft. So we touched on it for a second. We kind of got away. Going back to it again, we need to talk about new airplanes, new avionics. Of course, in that scenario, it was just wildly different aircraft, wildly different avionics. But this is going to apply in a lot of different ways. So the risk management portion of the pilot qualifications task for the private and commercial pilot ACS. It includes both of these items, new airplanes, new avionics, and they're worded exactly the same in the commercial and private pilot ACS. As a matter of fact, they're worded exactly the same in the instrument ACS as well, but instrument throws a couple more risk management items in there with them. But the point is, you need to be prepared to talk about flying new airplanes and new equipment that you're unfamiliar with when you go to a check ride. Luckily, it should be a pretty easy answer, you know, especially at the private and instrument pilot level, because the answer should be that you're just not going to do it. It's an unnecessary risk. At the commercial level, you'd probably probably should be prepared to explain how you would handle a scenario where, you know, uh, air, an aircraft owner recently upgraded his aircraft with new avionics and you haven't been trained in them, but you're supposed to fly for him or her, how you would handle that, uh, that kind of thing taking it another level because when you are getting paid to fly one it makes the no-go decision much harder uh, but also you kind of have to evaluate is this a comfort item is this a safety item there's a lot more that you're playing with at the commercial level private pilot level it's easy to say will not do it the only person that you're impacting is yourself and maybe a friend or a relative that wants to go flying with you but at the commercial pilot level of course it could be impacting your paycheck, your ability to provide for your family. It could be impacting your employer who has important business meetings to get to and stuff like that. So being able to verbalize 
how you would make that decision, how you would handle the situation could be important in the commercial level. But still, it doesn't change the fact that you should not operate aircraft or equipment or avionics that you haven't been properly trained on and that you aren't proficient with. Now, finding someone who's going to let you take their plane solo with no training, you know, training in that make and model, that would be rare. Uh, Certainly no company is going to do that for insurance reasons, if nothing else. But you need to be honest with yourself again and evaluate whether the hour or two that you may need for insurance is enough to safely make the transition to the new airplane. A lot of the times when you go to uh, a flight school or just anywhere that you can rent an aircraft, Before you can rent a new type, they may require an hour or two hours of instruction in that airplane to sign you off and let you rent. But you have to ask yourself, is that hour or two going to be enough? And in some cases, it may. In other cases, it probably wouldn't be. But there's almost certainly going to be insurance minimums that companies require and that friends are going to require if they want you to be covered in the event of an accident. So ending up in an airplane with the opportunity to fly an airplane that you've never flown before by yourself probably wouldn't happen even if you were trying to make it happen. It would be strange if you found yourself in that situation where you'd have to make that call. But a more common scenario would probably be something like the flying club that you belong to. Just bought a G1000 Cessna 172. Uh, you know, you've been flying the Steam Gauge 172 for a long time. Can you legally fly it? Of course. Nothing about going from the steam gauges to the G1000 change the category or class, but you have to ask, should you? The answer is probably not. As a matter of fact, unless you're familiar with the G1000 from another airplane, you you have experience with that avionics suite, then definitely not. Now, the plane's not going to fly any different. It shouldn't fly any different. Still a 172. Uh, But how you operate the radios, how you navigate, even how you get basic flight information like your altitude, airspeed, All of that's going to be very different. So in that situation, even if the flying club may not have any rules about you renting that without a checkout, since you're already checked out in the other 172, uh, you should still absolutely go up with somebody who's familiar, get another pilot, someone who's familiar with the G1000. And that could be an instructor, wouldn't necessarily have to be. Just make sure that you know the basics. And of course, this would be for day VFR flight, if you're just, you know, learning the basics and kind of that kind of thing. If you're planning to fly at IFR, you'd probably need a considerable amount of transition time, depending on the systems you've used previously. But there's just a lot when you talk about flying IFR, there's a lot more involved. The basic operation is one thing, but making sure that you can load an approach, edit your flight plan and fly it if you get an amended clearance or have some sort of issue and you need to divert or something like that, or even working through failures of aircraft systems. Um, those are all important considerations that can be just disastrous without the proper training. So definitely think about that as well. The level of training that you need to be safe, to be proficient. You can be proficient with a new avionics suite at the day VFR level, but maybe not at the IFR level. It also, there may be some in between there where you may be comfortable running that avionics suite, even in an IFR scenario, as long as you're in VMC. You can still see outside the aircraft flying on an IFR flight plan in good weather is much different from flying on an IFR flight plan in the clouds. So the level of proficiency there should obviously be higher in that scenario. But you just have to think, what is my experience level? 
What have I done recently? Can I safely, and you got to be honest with yourself, can I safely make this flight under these particular set of circumstances? Something else to think about. Uh, When I was just starting out, I flew one airplane all the time. The flight school that I got my private pilot at only had one airplane, and that's the one that I flew for all but a couple hours of my private pilot training. And then after the fact, that was the only one that I flew as a rental. So I did not have a lot of experience hopping between different airplanes. So for a while, after I moved to the 172 and I got to a school that actually had a handful that you could choose from, I wouldn't fly in a new tail number without an instructor going up with me first. You know, it could be the same avionics, the same exact configuration of switches and buttons and knobs, and everything could be exactly the same. But if it was a different airplane, I just wasn't comfortable with the idea of it. And it doesn't make a lot of sense now, looking back. You know, I've flown maybe a dozen or so different 172s with the DA-40s. I don't even know how many different tail numbers I've flown. And now, as long as I'm comfortable in that model and I'm comfortable with the avionics that are installed, I don't feel like it's necessary to go up with an instructor every time I want to fly a different airplane. But I would still say to anybody that's in a situation similar to mine, if there's anything about the idea of flying a particular airplane that makes you uncomfortable whether it's the avionics or it's a different switch configuration, you know, the lights are in a different place or whatever the case may be, take an instructor up. Eventually, you're going to get to the point where you're comfortable with different, you know, slightly different configurations and that kind of thing. But it's always better to err on the side of caution. And what's the worst case scenario in this whole thing? You get an extra hour with an instructor that you may or may not actually need. It's not going to hurt you. And if it's a good instructor, you're still going to walk away learning something new, even if they didn't have to share anything about that particular airplane or one of the things that you may be concerned about. A little bit short episode today, but uh, wrapping up, we'll have a little bit of a recap. Currency, it's easy. Currency means being legal to carry passengers, which requires those three landings in the last 90 days. For night currency, they got to be to a full stop. And that's also the case for tailwheel currency, night or day. has to be to a full stop in a tailwheel to be current to carry passengers. Also, the landings have to be in the same category and class, and that's pretty much it. Now, proficiency, it's all about safety. Can you operate the aircraft and equipment safely? There's not really any hard and fast rules, but you want to set some personal minimums. You want to be honest with yourself, and you want to fly with an instructor every now and again for some additional evaluation in between flight reviews, not just the flight reviews. Lastly, if you have the opportunity to fly an airframe or avionics that you've never flown before, It's like those old drug commercials just say no, at least to doing it solo. Take an instructor or a pilot friend up with you who is familiar with the aircraft and the equipment and let them show you the ropes. Make sure you understand the failure modes of the equipment, the little handling quirks or stall characteristics that can bite you if you are in an unfamiliar airplane. 100% it's always best to err on the side of safety. Like I said, the DPE has to evaluate that you not only know the regulations, but that you're able to apply safety and good aeronautical decision making in situations that may be legal, but not safe. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. To make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to follow the podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope to catch you next week. But until then, y'all stay safe out there. Keep the dirty side down, the pointy in forward, and as my wife always says, fluffy landings. <laughs>